0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of M365 Voice. I'm Antonio Mayo.
1: I'm Sarah Hazi.
0: And I am Mike Monarani. And we're coming to you again today with another question from our jar.
1: All right, are you ready? Ready? Ready. Okay. This one is with all of Microsoft's AI technology to choose from, like Copilot, Syntax, and Azure AI services. How do you choose what to use
0: and when? Mm. Okay, That's a very good question. That's an interesting question.
2: Hmm.
1: I feel like it's, it's always... a buzzword bingo question.
0: A little bit, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of the what to use when type question. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, like when we look at Microsoft's AI options at a high level, I kind of feel like we have four of them. So if you start off kind of at the very, very base level, you've got Azure AI services, or sometimes it used to be referred to Azure Machine Learning Workbench was kind of one of those AI services. So it's kind of, for me, that's the lowest layer. Um, on top of that, you now have Azure OpenAI services, which is Microsoft's implementation of OpenAI. We know they invested $10 billion in OpenAI, and you know they got a cut of that and they implemented that in Azure. Um, and then on top of that, you've got other AI services, one of which is Microsoft Syntax, or what's now called SharePoint Premium. And another one is Copilot, or kind of view those two kind of at a similar level, if you will.
2: Yeah, and I guess it depends on, the, well, this is what we're going to talk about, the, the different scenarios and who mm-hmm. can use what and who can build what as well, because it's not about the users, how you actually can mm-hmm. get um, models or, Mm-hmm. Um, um, other services work into like what kind of skill sets you want to have if you mm-hmm. kind of get your environment and your organization to use any of those services
0: yeah like if we start at that lowest level so azure ai services um, there are a lot of different ai based services at that level and that's often for organizations that want to build their own AI applications or own AI services on top of Azure. So you can actually go down to the level of choosing which machine learning or which deep learning algorithm you want to use. You can train your own large language models, right. and you can build your own you know, fundamental AI components at that level. So That's usually a really big lift where you've got, you've got a lot of data that you're going to base your own large language model on, or you're going to base your own mm-hmm. machine learning algorithms on and you're going to train your own models based on that data.
1: But if you're building that in Azure, you really critically have to think about who you're allowing to get into Azure to do that. And for many companies, if you're a small organization and you wear many hats, maybe that's not such a hard thing. But if you're at a mid-sized or a large organization, um, it's going to be, they should be highly specific about who they allow that kind of access. And whether you're using, I think, a resource group if they still call it that, or you actually have a level of Azure admin or other Azure access, many companies should be paying attention to how people actually can cook in that kitchen.
0: Absolutely. Um, That's usually the domain of data scientists, where they're used to managing large data repositories, They understand how machine learning algorithms work. They've used other open source AI technologies like TensorFlow, for example, that is kind of a competing service, if you will, it's an open source service. Um, And they're used to working with those large data sets to train their own models. But absolutely, it's usually a small group of people. And it's a big investment too, it's a Mm -hmm. lot.
2: and, and I think in the in the Azure AI services you can publish those services to be anonymously as well to be used anonymously or by by the public and I don't the, I think it's not only internal you can you can use it to go and create your machine learning AI models to serve um, any any type of services to the public like uh, you might be like you know when you go and you are chatting with with a bot. Uh, for for, uh, for a company, let's say take a uh, cell phone companies. We'll talk about cell phones that long ago. That you want to get some support, those Azure AI services will allow you to go and publish those models to the outside world as well. Uh, that can can talk to your to your LLM as well.
0: You could. You, you're going to pay through the nose. I think That's right. Publish that to the world to use, but yes, you could.
1: I'm assuming that from a payment perspective, do you know, Antonio, how that works? I'm assuming does it use AI builder credits, uh, even from a consumption perspective, or is it a different licensing model?
0: It's going to be a different consumption-based licensing model based on which AI service you utilize. Okay. It's going to be purely consumption. It's going to be different for the different AI services, but not AI. And
1: Google I think at least the ones that I've built in model. So, if you stay at this level, then it might be covered as part of your enterprise agreement. But then, if you get into a higher, the higher up you go, incrementally, the more it'll cost you. And let's not forget about the magic of the Microsoft true up. Yes.
0: Yeah, exactly. You will
1: pay sooner or later.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If we move up to the next level of service of Azure OpenAI service, that is where you're using the OpenAI large language models that are already established. So you're using um, GPT 3.5, GPT 4, DALI. um, What's the code one? The name is escaping me, but there's a code-based one as well. You're using the pre-established large language models, which Copilot uses, but you are integrating a Copilot-like experience into your own application. Now, where I've seen that utilized is where a company, a large company perhaps, might have their own knowledge base or their own um, um, call center information system. And they want to build a co-pilot-like experience or a chat GPT-like experience on top of that application. So that's where you can use the existing large language models. You're not training your own large language models, but you are building your own interface on top of it that can bring in other data, do some of the grounding of prompts, and then shoot it into the large language model, get back a response and present it to the user. So that's what OpenAI, Azure OpenAI Service will let you do. So, and then finally, we get to Copilot and SharePoint Premium. Uh, the and
1: SharePoint Premium, we should say is the new name for,
0: Microsoft syntax. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We
1: have to continually change those names.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, Copilot is interesting. So there's probably lots we can talk about on Copilot. It's kind yeah. of a buzzword, like you said, sir. Buzzword bingo. The buzzword of the day. Um uh-huh. it's essentially Microsoft's SaaS implementation of Azure OpenAI service. Right? Um and we're seeing lots of different copilots on top of different applications. So there's M365 copilot, there's security mm-hmm. copilot, there's mm-hmm. three power platform copilots, there's five Dynamics 365 copilots, yeah. there's two GitHub copilots, and a whole bunch of others.
1: And everyone outside of Microsoft license Microsoft's licensing team and maybe even they are confused about all of the different copilots, yeah. how they layer, what they cost, and then how people are gonna license their users for copilot. Because again, for those mid to large size businesses, I don't know that a lot of them are gonna pay to license every user for copilot straight out of the gate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah What's the cheap. As $30 per user per month for M365 mm-hmm. copilot alone.
1: And that's on top yeah. of your enterprise agreement.
0: Exactly. Thanks. Yeah. Um to me the big thing with Copilot is it's it's de- democratizing AI to use a Microsoft term mm-hmm. where AI used to be the domain of data scientists where they would have large, you know, databases or repositories of 300 million Um, lines in the database and they would use some AI implementation some machine learning or deep learning implementation to summarize or classify that data Mm -hmm. it's a small group of people that understood what AI and neural networks and machine learning really was that would use Mm -hmm. that now it makes this AI capability available to potentially everybody where everyone can tap into it to get um, uh, some sort of interesting response that helps them um. The, yeah. It,
2: go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, but that that comes also. It's, it's it's not a magic. It's not that magic stick with even with Copilot, right? Um. You you'll have to have your your data in your tenant must be in a good shape. Uh, it, your mm-hmm. security of the data in mm-hmm. your tenant must be in a really good shape. It's it's it so, brings me yeah. back back to the memories when when with, with the SharePoint search when the SharePoint search 2013 and uh, uh no. we introduced. Yeah, and uh, when we would go and, and upgrade from 2010 to 2013 and, and search is way, way better and people start mm-hmm. blaming search or search is exposing mm-hmm. data that's not supposed mm-hmm. to, it's not search, it's basically your data is not secure mm-hmm. enough.
0: Okay.
1: So you have
2: to prep that. You have to prep your tenant before you can really think about co-pilot.
1: And that's a painful thing to think about because I, I think most organizations don't do the prep work that's necessary and they expect different things that the, then they are going to get. Um, and I call it the Delve problem because back in the day, when mm-hmm, Delve first problem. rolled out, one of the features was recommended files and it mm-hmm. would recommend files to you based yep. on it being either something you had interacted with before or if I work closely with Antonio and Mike and you are both working on a file, it might recommend that file to me if I have access to it. And it would surface files that I have access to and people would get alarmed because they'd say, well, maybe I shouldn't have access to that file and Microsoft is now giving me access to files I shouldn't have access to. And the reality is that Microsoft in this case, isn't doing that, the, the, the error is human in terms of managing those permissions and That's permissions right. is still the number one exactly. issue in any Microsoft implementation of a collaboration tool ever.
0: Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, that is absolutely, for me, one of the prerequisites. It's understanding where you have permission issues, where you need to clean mm-hmm. up your permissions and your access control, where you have oversharing happening and implementing the right controls around it. That's that's one of the big prerequisites, okay. both assessing your current state and then fixing it. Exactly. Um, other prerequisites, you need to be on a certain version of Office. You need to be a certain version of Outlook. You need to be on the new Outlook if you want um, the Copilot experience and Outlook, for example. And don't
1: you have to be on something more current, like the current channel or the monthly channel, not a semi-annual channel. So I know a lot of companies yeah. don't All want right. to roll out office updates more often than semi-annually because they're afraid yeah. it'll break macros and things that people have built. Right. But you're yeah. going to have to be a lot more current than that.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely Pretty right. True. You do have to be on current channel or monthly channel. Semi-chan- semi-annual channel doesn't work, even if you upgrade your office to the latest yeah. version. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a hard change like like you're saying Sarah that's a hard change for some companies right you don't to just flip that switch overnight to update everybody's office every month well so. and
1: a tale as old as time in the land of SharePoint has been that SharePoint site owners who don't understand how permissions work keep ratcheting up the level of access that they provide to people until they stop telling them that they have an issue accessing files so it is pervasive across every organization that I've ever worked with that people have full control permissions yeah. who should never have that. And exactly. they have access to way more confidential or highly sensitive information than they ever should because the site owners don't know, don't remember, inherited a site, and they just want to solve the permissions problem and exactly. they over grant permissions.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. For sure. Um, i think it's important to understand too with copilot that it is not optimized for accuracy like ChatGPT, it's optimized for a conversational response so you do still need i find to educate people that even if you're going to roll out copilot if people are going to use it they need to judge carefully the answer that it gives you don't take it as verbatim truth don't take it as we're going to base this exactly. decision on this because Copilot told me it was the right thing. Right, you still need to use your own judgment to validate the responses 100%. that it gives. Hundred percent. I think that's that's an important aspect of rolling it out. Just that education for people on why are we using it, what is it good for, what you should do in addition to it, just to validate and make sure that 100%. you're seeing accurate responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you're composing an email and you're
2: asking Copilot to compose that email for you, just if it's increasing the collaboration or or your productivity a bit, just spend few seconds to read the email first. Just don't exactly. click send. Exactly.
1: And just wait for six months or a year from now, where all of us say we don't even have to read our emails. We'll just have Copilot summarize all of our emails <laughs> any given day for us <laughs> in a quick summary, and then you won't have to read your own emails. That's a joke, but. I mean, it could happen. Like, you don't have to attend the meeting. You can just review the copilot or ask copilot to summarize the meeting, right? Um, I think we have to decide uh, at what point we still have to leverage that review and the human component of all of those mm-hmm. elements. Yeah.
0: That actually brings up another prerequisite. If you want what you just described to work for it to summarize a meeting, you have to turn on transcription.
1: And that's a big problem for a lot of organizations where they may not want for legal or compliance reasons to store those meeting transcripts because then they have to provide them as evidence. Uh, So companies will have to think about that trade-off because huge value in summarizing meetings, storage of current transcripts and having to provide that as legal evidence uh, or for compliance purposes, supervising it, archiving it, et cetera, may be a high cost.
0: Absolutely. Exactly. we had a very difficult time in our firm turning on transcription because of privacy concerns and legal concerns. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then I guess the other the other AI component we talked about was SharePoint Premium and the machine learning models in there, and those I find are best used when we want to um, run AI models against our content. So mm-hmm. it's less about the user entering a prompt to get some sort of AI mm-hmm. response. It's more about I've got documents, i got content, I want machine learning models that understand it and can extract stuff. Exactly. Yep. Stuff.
1: And at scale. So you're not just running content through there gotcha. one at a time or look at these five documents, you're doing it with large quantities of things like all of your business receipts, you could put into the SharePoint premium AI model, for example, to extrapolate data from, mm-hmm. um, to reimburse expenses as just one example.
2: Exactly. Yeah, if you think about it, it's more the, the, the one of the safest way out of all of the, or compared to Copilot, because you 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 manage on the back end. You manage all the models. You manage how you're going to extract the data. Mm-hmm. You manage how what kind of documents you're dealing with. Uh, so you're not just letting things in the hands of the end users without proper mm-hmm. configurations in the back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. It's one of them. It's my favorite. I, I I love it. It works well. Uh, um and it's mature i think it's mature it's it's been around for oh well it's been three years right now since the project Mm -hmm. cortex got introduced
1: still not inexpensive uh if you enable it every user can go out and create a Mm -hmm. model but to actually publish the model and have it be used that's a whole different um scope and all of these can be expensive
2: correct correct um if 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 you if you Using it right now, if you're gonna start using it and you don't care about previous documents from content extractions and you're not gonna load hundreds of thousands of files into the models, then you should be okay. But if if you're gonna build models today and you're gonna say, Well, I have millions of documents that I wanna and I wanna have the premium to to extract them, oh that's a pretty big bill.
1: Mm-hmm. That
2: that credit card should have an unlimited Yep. dollars on it yeah
0: five five cents per user sorry five, five cents per page per page yeah like that's right process with the consumption model of those pages right. you know? yeah i think what you were alluding to mike is you can turn off the reprocessing of documents on individual libraries so that right. only new documents that you add exactly. are, are processed right. um, which was important for one of our customers because one of our government customers assessed that they had five hundred and fifty thousand documents edits or new documents created per month. So wow. at that number, at five cents per page, the if they ran SharePoint premium models across all of those, it would be a significant bill. So the ability to control at a library level to only have new documents versus documents edits processed, um, that was important for them because it allowed them a little bit of control over the cost. Exactly. Yeah, because and you just don't. I'm thinking want...
1: about Antonio for organizations. Because here's the thing: in in many cases, when you're talking about enterprise licenses, um, if if a user has the ability to turn that on, Microsoft will let it run, and then they're going to true you up later. And, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. That's a bill, a bill and a half.
1: Mm-hmm. That could be immense. So really important for admins and uh, leadership who are in charge of these Microsoft contracts to take proactive steps to ensure they understand how things are being used and uh, are making decisions about where to invest and that people aren't going rogue. Yeah.
0: So we've talked about four different AI technologies within Microsoft and kind of when to use them, starting with... um, Azure AI Services, then Azure OpenAI, and then mm-hmm. Copilot and um, SharePoint Premium or what be, might be called Microsoft Syntax. So um, a good episode overall. So I hope you guys found
1: it helpful and uh, join us again next time. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thank you.